Welcome to the Sports Grab Podcast, where we empower you with the answers to your burning questions to accelerate your career into the sports industry. We are your hosts, Melbourne-based sports administrators, Ruben Williams and Ryan Walker. Join us as we share unique and personal examples as well as relatable information and deliver them to you in bite-sized, fluff-free episodes. Want to swipe our signature framework to add awesome experience to your resume? Download our free ebook, Four Steps to Create Outstanding Work Experience in Sport, at sportsgrad.com.au. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our latest episodes released every Tuesday and Thursday. Hello and welcome to the Sportsgrad Podcast. I'm Ryan Walker, and with me, as always, is the Prince of St. Mary's Salesians Football Club, Ruben Williams. How are you today, mate? Oh, goodness me, Ryan. Um, I'm well. Thank you for that introduction. Yeah, it is cricket season, but footy season is around the corner. No doubt, <laughs> pre-season yeah. will be up and away soon. Might take me a bit of time to get there, but uh, if if I'm the Prince of St. Mary's, surely that makes you Don't the say. king of uni Don't blues. Don't You've say. got Don't your say. uni blues shirt on today. And I do. I, do. I think that's... A, I've heard you say that as well. It's a self-title, and I think it's pretty bold given that Gillen McLaughlin, the CEO of the AFL, is involved in the Uni Blues, but you still roll around as the king of the Uni Blues. How did, how did that happen? It's it's painful to hear when you when you call me out on these things. I, I I've, Yeah, I'm not even going to respond to that. I think we may have hit a low in terms of our opening remarks, um, in terms of the adjectives that we're using to describe ourselves, but... No, as you said, it is cricket season, but I thought I'd chuck in St. Mary's because I know you'd be working hard in pre-season in preparation doing your three-minute 50Ks run. So, um, no, we'll move on, Rubes. Uh, we've got a big episode to get on to. So, thank you so much to you, firstly, for, for listening and being involved in the show today um, and by downloading. We, we really appreciate it. Today, we are talking to Eliza Howard about how to swap codes during a pandemic. If you're listening for the first time and thinking, what is this show? Who are these two guys? The Sports Code Podcast is your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. I myself am a graduate of Notre Dame, Australia in Perth. Ruben is a graduate of Deakin University in Melbourne. A few years back, we both made the jump into working at Cricket Australia together. And now our aim is to help you do the same in whatever way, shape or form that may be in the sports industry. As I mentioned, today we are talking to Eliza Howard, who is the Business Development Coordinator at Tennis Australia. Eliza is a Leadership and Management graduate at Swinburne University and has also completed a Bachelor of Exercise Science Business in Sports Management at Deakin University. For a young professional, Eliza has a wealth of experience in the sports industry, notably interning at Netball Victoria, then working in membership at the Richmond Football Club and consumer sales at the Sydney Swans before recently joining Tennis Australia. Eliza, welcome to the Sports Grab podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Eliza, those who listen to our podcast often will hear Ryan and I ramble a lot about Strava. We often like getting out on the bike and, and running a bit. Having chatted previously, you are an absolutely elite runner. Do you mind sharing your marathon time PB with us? Yeah, well, I mean, outside of my work, I do love running. Um, I'm done a couple marathons now this one being my Melbourne marathon late last year which was 310 um, was my time so looking to get past that next year which will be good um what's your you know how people usually you know you go for your run and you sort of look at your average kilometer time 
for me, I'm more looking, you know, I, I want to nail that 430 or 440. Ruben is more of a 350 type operator. Where do you sort of sit on the spectrum of time per kilometre? Well, look, it depends how far I'm running. So if I'm going like a 20, 30K, I'll sit, I will sit around like the 430 in training. But if I'm just going for like an hour, I'll sit more around like the 410, four-minute mark. Just kind of depends. That is that is rapid. And you've already shared with us this morning that you've been out for a casual, easy 15K before the, the morning's barely started. So uh, that's awesome to see uh, what you get up to in your spare time. But we'll move on to some uh, some serious questions now. You... um. You uh, had the role this year of consumer sales uh, executive at the Sydney Swans. Um, it was a season, an AFL season unlike any other. Can you share a bit about what it was like to, to work at the Sydney Swans this year? Yeah, look, it was great. It was really it was a truly unique year. So, I mean, I only started my role at Swans in January. So, I came from – I was at Richmond for two and a half years, then moved over to Sydney Swans. Um, and they're just their little Melbourne office. There was about five of us, but it was definitely a great place to work. Um, yeah, so as I said, started in January. I was only really learning the ropes and I had just kind of settled in before um, coronavirus hit. So, that was certainly interesting. You know, we were planning for all these interstate trips, you know, going all around the country um, – planning events for corporates, things like that. And then everything kind of took a turn on its head and everything had to be changed and our membership um, kind of then had to focus more on retaining members rather than planning events and celebrations for members as well. Just that quickly, you mentioned that you're in the Sydney Swans office in Melbourne. Is that common for some of the interstate clubs to have a base within Victoria? I think Sydney is one of the only ones actually um, because Sydney did have South Melbourne originally. So Sydney was originally based in Melbourne. So we have a lot of supporters in Melbourne, whereas the other interstate clubs don't have as many. So I think Sydney might be the only one. Um, but as I said, there was only five of us, but we had a pretty big task. So we, in the Melbourne office, we did Melbourne and then all the other states and then the Sydney team just managed Sydney. So although there was only five of us, we had a pretty huge task on our hands, that's for sure. Is the Sydney office at MSAC? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, you are. So it's at Elwood Park. It's a beautiful office, actually. It looks over the lake. It's so nice. I believe um, shared facility with Table Tennis Victoria, Richie Hinton, we have yeah. had on the podcast. So great facilities down there. At MSAC and Lacrosse Australia, I believe, is training there at the moment as well. So it's a huge facility for all sort of sporting codes across Australia. Anyway, back to it. Uh, what were what were some of the biggest challenges in season 2020? Um, obviously, it was one of the weirder years that we've ever, ever had on planet Earth. Um, but what what are some of the strategies um, that you in sort of consumer sales um, put in place to sort of overcome some of those challenges, I guess? Yeah, look, you're right in saying it was certainly weird. Um, I think the biggest thing we had to focus on being in the sporting industry was our company's profitability. So I think not just in AFL, but across all sporting codes with, you know, with not having events or reduced capacities events, you are going to lose a lot of money. Um, and that's something that can be detrimental down the track. So I think AFL, although we were lucky that we could then move to um, Queensland and have crowds, there still was reduced. So we did lose a lot of money in that way. So it was then just about creating strategies in order to save money in different areas. So pretty much every decision we made, we had to work out how to to carry out that plan um, and spend the least amount of money really. 
And it was often a case of decisions we would make would now then be escalated to management as well, which created a, quite a long process, but it was de- definitely very important being able to save money as well. What, what a, and forgive me if you can't go into too much detail, but what, what were some of the conversations that you're having around that time? What are some of the processes that, that you were working on day to day to kind of work out how to make those decisions? Yeah, look, it's, it's pretty hard. It's, it was pretty hard, I think, especially being in such a small team. We often had different opinions, but I think it's in terms of me working in consumer sales and memberships. It was the way we, we treated our members. So conversations around how, how lenient we were with refunds and credit notes and things like that. And, and to what point do we want to try and retain people's money or to what point do we want to then service the members and keep that relationship as well so it's kind of weighing that decision up and creating a fair balance as well yeah that's such, that's such like a sensitive area particularly like like obviously you need the the money to sustain the club but then you know you're dealing with people who have also you know lost their jobs and are in other sort of financial hardship and so you've got to be mindful that um you know have, they have their own needs as well so it's a, i can imagine it's be such a delicate balancing act to to get some of those decisions right yeah, definitely. It's a, it certainly was really hard because, you know, being being a person, you obviously want to be as lenient as you can, but you also need to think about the business's needs. So it was it was certainly hard, but it was a it was a good challenge. That's for sure. Is it almost like you you're switching your mindset from almost acquisition, getting new members to more just like purely retention, sort of being really sort of we just want to treat our members really well so we can retain them for next season instead of, you know, launching membership campaigns, all that kind of thing. Because obviously that's going to cost you money, um, but you're just trying to sort of keep, keep the team together, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was bought on in January, I was basically purely there for membership acquisition, so to bring in new members Um so I went, you know, two months really, really hard at that. And then I went to renewals. And then after that, that was when, yeah, as, as we talk about, it became really tricky. We couldn't, we couldn't try and bring on new members. It was more about servicing those members we had and ensure they knew the process of what was going to go on when, you know, most, a lot of them being in Melbourne, the ones that I was dealing with, they weren't going to get to go to games. Eliza, this year has been particularly tricky for a lot of people graduating and a lot of people trying to find jobs. In September, you successfully landed a position uh, as business uh, development coordinator at Tennis Australia. What was the application and interview process like for that role? Yeah, so unfortunately, like many others, um, mid-year, I was let go from my job at the Swans. Um, yeah, many others in the same position um, due to coronavirus. So I was out of work for a couple of months. Um, and then my role now, business development coordinator, happened to come up on LinkedIn. So I saw it and I read the read the position description really carefully. And I thought, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, it's perfect for me. Like, I would be something I would absolutely love to do. So um, lucky I had, you know, I had some experience. I went ahead and I did my best on the application I could. That was, oh, that was probably in August. And then it was about two weeks before I received a call from a lovely lady in HR and I had a phone screening with her. Um, and then from there it was about another two week process. So it was that long wait. So I waited a couple of days. I got a call back that, you know, I was in for a first round interview. And then in the space of two weeks, I had three more interviews with three different sets of management. So 
um, there was one man that was there for each interview. Um, he's my manager now. And then there was three different sets of management. Um, that was certainly different being in the um, coronavirus, you know, pandemic, it was all Zoom. So I had to make sure that doing my interview, I was able to portray my personality um, via video camera as well as I would face-to-face. Um, but I feel that was something really important that really did help me to eventually land the job because I think um, with a lot of sporting codes, it's as much fitting into the culture as it is having the experience for the job. Um, so I think that was something that really helped me out. But, yeah, overall it was about another two-week two week process, which sounds pretty quick, but, oh, God, it was a long wait. And then I finally got the call and I started about a week later. That is that's quite the process. I'm keen to un- unpack some of this. When when you first got that phone call from uh, the HR lady, uh, for that screen, for that screening call, what what does that involve? What do they screen you on? What are they looking for during that initial interaction? Yeah, so with that initial interaction, because it is because it was with HR, it wasn't specifically um, about the role. It was more about my background and getting a feel for my personality. So I think that's even when it comes through. That wasn't even via video call, but I think that one they're trying to get a feel for whether you would fit into the organization um, you know you're a happy bright bubbly person and what your what your experience is as well so that probably went for about 20 minutes and then we ended up just speaking just casually about life for another 10 so half an hour in total but no it was, yeah it was good it's always a, a good interview or phone call when you end up talking about things completely unrelated to the topic afterwards exactly. um, <laughs> I think it probably um, shows that you know that you can they can relate to you and you're a good fit i think if you it's probably not a great sign maybe if you don't get to talk about anything else other than the job like specifically i think it's probably a sign in a way yeah most definitely and then you, you went into th- to three interviews with three sets of managers who were what, like what departments are these managers coming from and how do their questions vary yeah, so the manage the managers were all from my department. So I'm at tennis. It's because it's such a big organization. I'm part of about three or four different departments. So my smallest team is four people, and then my largest team is about sixty five or seventy people. So they were all they were all broadly related to that team. Um, the the questions kind they were reasonably similar. Um, in the, so it wasn't situational, which was interesting because that's what I've had before, but they were more based on my experience and um, my background. Um, they were reasonably similar each time, except I think it was just getting a feel for the different levels of management and how each person thought I would fit into the organisation, how I would go in the role as well. Do you remember any particular question that uh, was tricky or you came unstuck on? I think there was there was one actually which I thought was a really good question about their loyalty program. So that's something they haven't had in tennis before. That's something I've actually worked on in previous roles at Richmond, so like member loyalty. So that was a really good question that I actually enjoyed answering. So they asked me about what strategies I would put in place to create a loyalty program for their mem- for their members that have been attending the tennis um, year on year, and that was something I was able to put previous experience into, um, and kind of adapt my adapt my answer to fit tennis rather than to fit an AFL environment as well. Yeah, nice one. So coming back to the the present day, and what is a what is a typical day, or what does your typical day to day look like at Tennis Australia, and what plan are you currently doing uh, for the Australian Open coming up? 
Yeah, well, every day looks different and that's why I do love it. Um, I mean, well, look, every day is the same in that I sit at my desk at home at the moment, unfortunately, but eventually we'll get into the office. That's all right. Um, but in terms of actually what I do, everything changes. So as I said before, tennis is it's such a huge organization. So it's really exciting in that I get to work across so many different departments. So at the moment, I'm working in different roles, working with the marketing team, working with the ticketing team. Um, many other teams as well. But on a day-to-day basis, my role primarily is working with their corporate clients and their hospitality. So I manage about 500 corporate clients, um, helping them book their super boxes, their dining experiences, their on-court seating at the tennis at Rod Laver, many different other things that we offer. So I'll constantly be receiving phone calls from them. I'll be calling them, emailing them, um, selling them, and basically helping with their experience throughout the year all the way up until the tennis. Um, Another huge thing that I'm working on at the moment, which is proving quite a challenge, but I'm enjoying it a lot, is um, ticket allocation. So obviously, same with many other sporting codes, we have reduced capacity at the tennis this year. So I have the fun job of trying to work out where, where everyone will sit and fitting them into um, fitting them into seats, but also adhering to those government regulations as well. So it's it's a jigsaw puzzle, is all I'll say. But it's it's definitely keeping me busy, and I'm enjoying it. Five hundred people to to manage and communicate with regularly is sounds like quite a task. Do you have any sort of like you know set rules of how you engage with them that allow you to kind of you know manage them effectively and, and keep them happy? Yeah, definitely. I think. I think one thing that does help me on a day-to-day basis is just being organised. I think that's one skill that really comes into handy in a role like this. Um, As you said, it's it's a lot to deal with on a day-to-day basis, but I'm always busy and that's really what I love. Um, I think I have pretty high set standards for myself. Like if I receive an email, it's maximum 24-hour response time, Um, same with phone calls as well. But I think to put a blunt list, lists of my life. Like at the day, at the first start of the day, I'll write a list of everything I need to do. Obviously, things are going to pop up during the day, which will make it harder, but I prioritise my list and, you know, first thing, most priority is at the top, that's what I'm trying to say, um, and then I'll work down from there. But it's definitely busy, but that's what I love. I think you're very similar to Ryan and I. We, we love lists on the on the Sports Grad podcast. Uh, one other thing that that I really enjoyed you talking about is uh, your mention of the Superbox and how you contribute to client experience at the tennis. One of the, the great episodes that we've had on the Sports Grad podcast was with Mitch Woods from the St Kilda Football Club who talked about his role as general manager of the Noosa Football Club and his introduction of a makeshift Superbox at their footy club where they essentially built uh, they built the Superbox and then created ex- an experience for all their kind of grassroots fans, you know, parents, uh, local businesses to come and, and attend. And now it's kind of like one of the great grassroots activations that we're advocating for. For those people who are currently in the middle of cricket season or have got footy season coming up and uh, might be looking to introduce a Superbox to their, you know, their luncheons or whatever offering that they've got, is there anything that you guys are doing for the Australian Open or at Tennis Australia that you think people at home could could add to their grassroots super boxes to make it an awesome experience? Yeah, well, I mean, with our super boxes, it will depend on the client really. So we can tailor it 
any way we want, basically. So we can create the experience they want in their box. So some of them um, want merchandise. So we'll put Australian open caps or programs in there. Some of them want specialty cocktails. So we'll ensure they have their specialty cocktails in there. So I think it's just being about, about you know, changing it up for what, what your client does want. But I think, I don't know, merchandise and things like that would be a good one for a grassroots club. Yeah, I think that's very fair, Eliza. And I think the the super box is absolutely uh, it's booked to take place this year at Wycliffe Cricket Club, Reuben. No, no doubt. I'm sure. Obviously, the season's kicked off now, but it's in the, it's in the works. I would imagine. So there'll be a few rogue requests. I would have thought at the Wycliffe Cricket Club super box, but uh, we'll move on from the super box. We do love it. Eliza, you've completed internships at North Melbourne Footy Club and Netball Victoria. How did you how did you gain these experiences and what advice uh, would you have for students wanting to make the most of their internship experiences? Yeah, so I was lucky enough to do those internships um, off the back of connections, um, given they were very broad connections. But I think that's something that's good to think about when trying to get an internship. So, for example, for my internship at North Melbourne, I had. I was, tr- I was trying to get an internship age and I was thinking, where can I get it? Where can I get it? And I had to go really broad. So I had a rowing coach about three years before that that I knew had told me before she had a friend that used to work at North Melbourne Footy Club. So I didn't know this friend, but I knew that I could contact my old rowing coach who could then put me, contact, put me in contact with this friend. So I think that's a really important thing to know. I think we all think, oh, you know, I I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone. But I think we all would have some kind of connection somewhere, even if it's not in the elite sporting industry, even if it's just at grassroots. Um, I think it just is about putting our thinking cap on. Um, But as for being there, I think just making the most of it. So just getting, getting down and getting dirty and doing whatever they want you to do. Like it's not it's not always going to be glamorous, but it's all about having that experience, um, putting it on your resume, and then that looks amazing down the track when you are looking at getting full-time, you know, part-time or even casual employment as well. I love what you said about you don't always know who the people you know also know. And I think um, you mentioned grassroots. We advocate for grassroots experience a lot because of the parameters of around initiatives that are, that are so wide. But the other added benefit is that, Grassroots sporting clubs are extremely well connected. You only have to look as far as Ryan at the Uni Blues, and he's he knows Gillan McLaughlin personally, I believe. And um, so I they, some of these, <laughs> <laughs> but so, some of these footy clubs and cricket clubs and rowing clubs like have got people who are connected to to state level and to national level organisations as well. So you know, even if you think that. Um, you know, if you're wondering, you know, what's the the real benefit of getting involved in a grassroots club outside of the experience, it's the networks that you're going to create for yourself as well because they are so well ingrained within Australian sport at all different levels. Yeah, absolutely. So, Eliza, in your time as um, membership sales officer and then as account coordinator at the Richmond Football Club, you're able to secure two premiership cups and uh, and broke the all-time AFL membership record. What was your experience like there? Yeah, that was amazing. Like, to be honest, I still can't even believe I was there when when that happened. I, um, I've been 
following Richmond all my life and I always have said, you know, I would I would work at any any AFL club, any anywhere in the sporting industry, but I was pretty lucky in that my first job straight out of school in the sporting industry was was at the club I followed. Um, these, you know, a couple of years I was there, they were crazy. During grand final period, I don't think I've ever worked so much in my life, but I loved it. I was on the phones mostly in my role at Richmond, um, liaising with members. So, you know, two, three weeks leading up to the grand final, me and my team would be on the phones five days a week, 8am till 8pm some nights. You know, we would order in Uber Eats basically for lunch, um, but that was about the only break we would get for those couple of weeks. But we all enjoyed it so much. It was such a such an amazing experience. You know, we got to be there, um, you know, the, the final open training where there was thousands of members. We got to be there the day after the grand final working with the, um, working in a tent with all the all the fans there we got to um have the cup in our office the grand final after party so it was it was honestly such an amazing experience something I wouldn't wouldn't change for the world and then reaching that 100,000 member milestone was also huge so we February was our major major membership month um and we would smash out hundreds of phone calls a day trying to get trying to get members so it certainly wasn't a milestone that people would often think would come easy. We worked really hard on the phones by email to get those members, um, something I'm, yeah, really, really proud of and, you know, we'll always look back on going forward, that's for sure. We've had a – what's that now, Rose? We've had two two people from Richmond Footy Club who have both won multiple premierships, uh, which is huge. So I guess you could have called yourself a sort of a, a two-time premiership winning uh, membership sales officer or oh. <laughs> I think what do we call Kev? I think yeah, Kev was the uh, the three time premiership winning performance analyst. Yeah, yeah which is a huge was. title. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that like for you, like personally as a Richmond supporter? Like, did they get you guys involved with the cup and with the players afterwards to kind of show their appreciation? What was kind of like the the behind the scenes look of winning a a grand final for you guys? Yeah, definitely. So we had so much to do, you know, with the cup and the players and everything. It was, re- it was really inclusive environment. So, um, you know, after they won, we all got to go. We had accreditation, which we need for each game, um, but we got to go down to the rooms afterwards, you know, cheer them in, watch them sing the song. Um, after the game, there's a big, big celebration. So they would come present the cup and then we would have private space booked out for the whole night um, and, and morning um, for celebration um, we would get to attend the Jack Dyer medal, um, a week or so later, which was the annual best and fairest event held at Crown as well. So definitely it was such an inclusive environment and something, yeah, something I definitely look back on fondly. That's for sure. What skills do you need, do you think, um, to be successful in, in your role so far? So obviously consumer sales executive and, and business development coordinator. Um, what are some of those skills that you think are most, most important to be successful and, how can students now at, at university be be developing those skills? I think a couple of main things. I think I would say, as we touched on before, organisation and time management, um, as well as just drive and passion. So with organisation and time management, as we said before, being a commercial team or consumer team, you're constantly doing different things. So you're never just working on one thing. You're always liaising with you know, 5, 10, 15 different people within the business and then hundreds of people outside of the business. And I think it's just about being able to manage 
manage the task you're working on and being able to hit deadlines. Um, and I think that comes into handy um, in uni as well. So, you know, doing uni, I've been doing uni on the side of work as well, finishing my degree. So, so I know definitely know how it is with lots of assignments plus having work as well, even if it's not full-time work, it's, it's always busy at uni. So I think being able to manage those things, but still being able to do the things you love as well. So still being able to do your sport and whatever else you love um, is definitely important. And then I think the other thing would, as I said, would be drive and passion. So you really, you got to love what you're doing. Um, what, you know, in the tasks I do day to day, sometimes not everything is glamorous. It's not what I want to be doing 24 seven, but some tasks you just got to get done. And I think the love I have for the industry and the love I have for my work, my colleagues um, really outweighs sometimes the, the, um, the blander moments, but mostly it's, yes, it's so good. How have you have you found the the study and and full time work? Um, obviously, it's a bit of a it's something that people always consider doing if they if they get a, a role sort of um, straight from uni and want to continue studying. Um, but often it can be like a real challenge. So interested interested to see sort of ha- how you found it. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's not a challenge. Um, it definitely has been a challenge, but. First year, so first year out of school, I decided to take the year off um, uni and then I was going to go back in the next year. So I just did, well, I was doing a diploma, not the undergraduate. Um, During that diploma year, I was lucky enough to volunteer at Richmond and then get um, a job there. So from there, I did love that so much that I decided I did want to work and not go into uni, but I wanted to study online. So from there, I've been underlearning at uni. I've been doing three subjects um, a trimester instead of four um, and it has been definitely has been busy I will not say will not say otherwise but once again I think it comes down, down to that organization um, time management so I'll work during the day and then I'll come home at night I'll often do a couple of hours of uni and then my weekends often will be filled with uni but I also then had to make sure I still had time for to do what I love and see my friends as well. And on top of that, squeezing the casual 15-kilometre run at the very least. <laughs> exactly. I, I get up early is all I'll say. I love my early morning. <laughs> are, you a, are you a huge Strava fan, Eliza? I'm actually not. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm one of those weirdos that doesn't run with my phone or music. So I just yeah, look right. and I don't think about anything. So, no, I'm not, on, I'm not on Strava, but everyone says to me I should be. Yeah, well, I think. I mean, Rubes and I are both Strava freaks. I mean, I mean, freaks can be a different one. He's a he's a freak athlete, and I'm just a freak user. So, um, <laughs> no, we're very big on the Strava, and um, I don't think a I think a sports grad Strava group is well and truly on the way. I would have thought, uh, or in the works, mm. I would think. So, yeah, sure along to, with that, some uh, along with some kit, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I mean. I, I'm sure the the um the owner of Pedal Mafia would be listening to the podcast. <laughs> There's been some discussions of some sports grad lycra coming into the fold. That's right. Um, I just want to jump back a a bit quickly, Eliza. You mentioned earlier about how you know showing your passion is extremely important to be able to do the job when you know you do have those moments where some of the tasks aren't exactly what you imagined you would be getting yourself into. In your recent application for, for tennis, what were some of the ways that your passion was put on display either through your resume and your cover letter or through some of the questions 
that they asked you because I think, you know, you, you can give an answer that just explains how you did the job, but then you can also give an answer that's got your, you know, inherent passion laced on top of that. So what were some of the ways that you were able to, to show your genuine passion for this in industry through that process? Yeah, so I think in doing that, I think both my application as well as my interview, I really had to showcase tasks that I've done in the past and how often they may not have been glamorous, but how I turned them around and how I loved doing them and saw saw why I was doing them anyway. So, for example, um, you know, at Richmond and Sydney, I would often be taking and making, you know, upwards of 150 calls to members a day. Um literally pick up the phone, speak to them, put it down, pick up the phone, speak to them, put it down. And, you know, thinking back now, I'm like, oh, gosh, like, you know, it's it was exhausting. It really was. But at the same time, it was so much fun. Like I, like I couldn't have loved it anymore, speaking to members and hearing some of their funny stories. Like it was, it was honestly, yeah, it was a great experience. And I think as well just stories about, you know, having thick skin. You know, when, when I was at Richmond, I remember a time where, we had a group of really long-term members and due to, you know, changes the MCG, unfortunately we had to change where they were going to be sitting on a day-to-day basis. And as you can imagine, that didn't appeal well with some of them. Um, and we did cop some flack over the phone. Um, but I think in that in that instance, it's about just empathising with them, having thick skin and really then like in my interview at tennis, portraying how I how I went about changing their negative mindset to one of positivity as well. Awesome. And, and just to add to that, so you're showing your passion. What's some of the ways that you can put your personality on display as well? Because, again, you know, some people fall into the trap of just saying, this was my task, this is how I did it, this was the result. How do you then add, you know, the Eliza Howard flavour on top of that? Yeah, I think it's just about showing even just in your facial expressions the way you talk about about why you love what you're doing so I think interviewers often yeah just not looking for how you've done a task or what you've done in the past but why you've done it and why you've loved doing it or even if why you haven't loved doing it to be honest um, I think they yeah often want to know about the why just as much as you know how you've done the task as well yeah absolutely and I think it's such a a key way that people separate candidates because the supply of candidates in the sports industry is extreme. Like there are hundreds, probably thousands of people who would want to be getting into into your role, Eliza. So how do you how do you separate the ones that uh, can do the job from the ones who can do the job better than anyone else and are going to be good to to work with during the day and are good to be uh, good to hang out with at lunchtime and after hours as well. So it's such an important part being or such an important piece being a good cultural fit to, to an organisation. So awesome to see that you've been able to, to demonstrate that really well. And like a few times as well, Rubes, you know, like Eliza, you've obviously had a vast amount of experience so far. Obviously, the interview process isn't something that you struggle with because you, you've obviously bringing yourself to those interviews and hence why these organisations think you're, you're a good cultural fit. So kudos to you for that. Um, yeah. Going back, so say... For any student right now looking uh, looking for opportunities in the sports industry, um, what's some advice that you, that you would give them, um, or think about putting yourselves yourself in their shoes? What what's some advice that you give yourself as someone looking for a role in sport at the moment? I would say, as I said before, just don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. So I think we often have the perception that people that work 
in the sporting industry as you know they're so much older or they're so much more experienced than me but everyone starts from the bottom including me so you know to give you an idea of how I got my first job I was volunteering I was handing out caps and scarves um, and then I said to the manager who was managing me at that point when I was volunteering I said oh is there anything else I can do to help out you know I'm willing to do anything um, a week later I spent three hours ripping up raffle tickets um, and putting them in a box so ripping up raffle ticket um, tickets off the off the pages popping them in a box and then three days later I got the job at Richmond so although my hands were pretty sore after ripping up those raffle tickets it was definitely worth it and it was not glamorous but that's essentially how I got my first job in the industry and is, has got me to where I am now so I think just having that mindset that you know, just be willing to do anything and you, yeah, often will have to start at the bottom like most people do, but that's how you eventually get to where you want to be. Fantastic. Well, Eliza, it's been absolutely awesome to chat to you and I think anybody out there who, who's looking to, to land their, their first role in sport or their first or second or third or fourth, whatever they think, um, you're you're an awesome example of sort of persistence and also just doing all the little things right in order to, to land the role that you, you're trying to get to um, and your vast experience really does speak to that. So it's been great lis- listening to you about all, all your experience at tennis and, and Richmond and, of course, the mighty Sydney Swans as well. Um, so thank you again uh, for being on the uh, Sports Grab podcast. No, thank you so much for having me and if anyone wants to follow me, follow me on LinkedIn, you know, send me a message, I'm more than happy to help. Just to add to that, Eliza, as well, there's been a lot of people have been made redundant in the industry and you've managed to, to land on your feet as well. So um, in a very crowded job market, well done for um, landing that job in tennis because it's it's definitely harder than it's ever been before. So well done for being um, excellent at what you do and finding yourself in a good place. Thank you. Awesome. Get in touch with Eliza. We'll get her details for you on social media or on LinkedIn, of course, we'll, we'll do a post so uh, we can you can find them quite easily. Thank you very much for listening and a reminder to please hit subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss any of our new episodes. Drop us a rating uh, and leave us a review. It really does mean so much and helps us put together the show for you with more sensational guests such as Eliza. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the SportsGrad podcast. If you need help with your sports career, head to sportsgrad.com.au and download our free ebook today. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a tag on socials at SportsGrad.